It's time that you know your rights, period. Have you ever felt ashamed by your period? In the South Asian community, there's so many myths, taboos, stigmas that surround periods and can propel period shame. And there's so much to unpack within this topic. Today as part of our Know Your Rights Period series, co-produced by Renal, we have a special Instagram Live with Mega Desai, the president of the Desai Foundation. The Desai Foundation is a public foundation that aims to elevate the health and livelihood of women and children through community programs in the US and India. In today's episode, you're going to hear our Instagram live that we had with Mega, and I came out of this live feeling so inspired by the work that she does with her foundation and hope that you feel the same way. Enjoy. Um, hi, guys. I'm Mega. Um, I run the Desai Foundation, which empowers women, children, and um women and children in communities in rural India with health, livelihood, and menstrual equity programs in eight states in um, close to 2,500 villages. And this year we've um, grown quite a bit and, and expanded our reach and also um, expanded our menstrual health programs. So our Asani Sanitary Napkin Program uh, is operating in actually more than eight states, but it is a best-in-class, full 360 approach to combating all of the perils around menstrual health when it comes to women in India and, frankly, all over the world. Um, it tackles the stigma. It tackles the uh, access um, to information and to products. And it, it also helps people educate more on how menstrual health is actually, you know, an indicator to your overall health. Um, and so we, we really teach about how those two things are connected. Um, and of course, we then also distribute and produce retail quality pets. Um, and so, yeah, that is our, um, our program in a nutshell. That's, that's amazing. I think the work that you do is so important because, I mean, I think, I've read so much about period poverty in India, all of like the myths and like all of the um, the stigma surrounding it. So when did you realize like this is something that's so important and something that you want to take on and tackle? Yeah. Um, interestingly, despite having grown up in a very modern family um, here in the U.S. Uh, my grandmother, until the day she passed away, fought about me praying while I was bleeding. Um, it was something oh. that she, uh, you know, just thought was not appropriate. And I, you know, I just couldn't, I, I could just couldn't understand, like, so are you telling me that I'm unworthy of God's love when I am at my most vulnerable, like that seems <laughs> incongruous, right? So I was like, I was like, and I and we we argued about it her whole life, and um, uh, you know, we've been doing work now in India for quite some time, and it was about a decade ago, um, where we were in some of these rural communities working on some other health programs and some livelihood programs, and um, you know, I I just kind of kept asking like, where are the young women? Like, where are the young girls? And a lot of the times the answer was, oh, you know, it's her time of the month. So she's not in school or she's not in, you know, she's not showing up to work. And I just thought to myself, like, well, how can someone hold a steady job if they're missing five days a week, five days a month or, you know, yeah. in some cases seven. So um, it, it just it started to kind of pop up. And 
I was surprised by how one thing can actually affect so many aspects of a young girl's life, whether it is around, um, you know, our young leader's life. Um, and so, it, you know, when it comes to, are they staying in school? Are they then able to understand the health indicators and the health outcomes that the, the, the that menstruation indicates? Are they able to keep a job after school? Does their school have toilets um, where they can, uh, you know, clean and change their products? Do they have access to running water uh, so that they can properly wash up and, and whatnot? Um, do they live in a home that has lots of boys who then they feel like they have to constantly hide, um, you know, their menstrual products or anything like that? And and I just kind of felt like, wow, this is one issue that tackles both the health and the livelihood that we've been fighting so hard to protect in in India. And that's kind of it was almost a little over a decade ago um, that we started experimenting. And then it was about seven years ago um, that we perfected our Asani Sanitary Napkin program. So we spent three years kind of experimenting with different types of pads, different types of programming, different types of awareness sessions. Um, and now we feel really great about the program um, in, in its current form. That, that's and I, I really appreciate how like in depth you've explained because it's it's not just you know period like you need pads it, it's it's also like you said like um, infrastructure a lot of uh, mindset is involved so I feel like this is such a complex issue and it's great that you have um, programs in place to tackle them so do you want to describe a little bit more about the programs that you know you just mentioned um, to tackle um, that complex issue. Yeah, absolutely. So we have awareness sessions both in village and in schools. So we go into local schools and 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 teach um, young folks about menstruation and um, and you know what are the stigmas and what are the truths. Um, and then we also ensure that we're going out into the rural villages. Um, I'll give you an example of the lack of information. So most. Um, uh, most people encounter their periods for the first time um, and not know anything about menstruation. So 71% of girls in India don't know what their period is until the day they get it. And when I heard yeah. that statistic, I remember thinking to myself, that's so high. That seems like a crazy percentage. So I called all of my friends that were born and raised in India. And in and my for my friends, it, and it, it was like almost almost to the number. My friends netted out at 75%, didn't know. Um, wow. Wow. And so I was like, wow, that is bonkers. And so um, what's happening is that because there is so little information um, mother, from mothers to daughters, from, you know, I think the only people that really kind of thrive in this is that there are sisters <laughs> in the house. Um, but yeah. uh, that people aren't aware of the things that you need to watch out for, right? So if your period feels different from one month to another, or the pains change, like your menstrual cramps change from one month to another dramatically, that's a sign that there's something else wrong with you. And we know that there's like endometriosis and all these different things, especially in the South Asian community, fibroids, everything that just goes so untreated. And women are just in debilitating pain that can be solved. And so yeah. what we try to do is really educate around the different indicators, what they should be looking for, et cetera. You know, we had someone in a rural village who was quite like, she was an adult, she was like 30. 
And uh, she raised her hand in an awareness session and said, oh, you know, my period is white. Oh. And we were like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not a period. And uh, I asked her in, in uh, I said, you know, what, you know, what do you do? And she's like, I'm a farmer. And I said, what is your crop? She said, wheat. And then I said, do you wear underwear? And she said, no, because they just kind of wrap their choli and I mean, they're, ch they're, they're, they're chanyo and they just kind of like wrap the sari around. And mm -hmm. I said, you know, that's not your period. You have a yeast infection and you need to wear underwear. And so her period had actually stopped because she, oh, it was, she had such a severe yeast infection. Um, and so, you know, it, like these types of things were like, that's a solvable problem with a little bit of information. And, and yeah. that's what we're, so that's one part of the program is information. The second part of the program is um, production. So we have a, um, an automatic machine. It's a semi-automatic machine. It is, creates retail quality pads over 5,000 a day. We have three or three of them. Um, and so, you know, we're making thousands and thousands of pads a day. And then uh, the w women that run that mini factory, it's not really a factory, but uh, is um, <laughs> all, all local women uh, from the villages. Um, and then, um, so that's, you know, a retail quality product. And then our distribution side is, um, again, about awareness and also the comfortability. Um, I don't know if you've ever had to buy uh, menstrual products in India, but I will never forget my first experience uh, going to the little bodega across the street and buying yeah. pads. Um, and back in the day, some of this has changed. You know, I'm old, so the, the, some yeah. of this has changed. But um you know, they used to keep it behind the counter. And so you would have to interact with the shopkeeper. The shopkeeper was 100% of the time a man. And, you know, right. we're in this position where you're already uncomfortable and you have to ask the man for the pads. He kind of waits until the store clears out. He kind of puts it in a paper bag and then puts it in a dark bag so that you like you can hide it. And you're thinking to yourself, like, this is not a drug transaction. Like, nobody should be embarrassed here about what is happening. Um, but yet, right. that is what happens. And so that all of these little things create friction and all of these right. experiences in terms of purchase, you know, it's not just cost. Like you talked about period poverty earlier. Yes, cost is a factor, but it's only one of the factors. And so some, for some people, it's not even money. It's literally these other frictions of not wanting to interact with a man to buy pads. So our distribution yeah. team um, we train local women and they serve their own villages. So they're able to go door to door in the privacy of their own home and sell their neighbors or their, you know, community members pads. And then they earn a commission so that they can actually have a job and earn a living. So it's this double edge, both livelihood and, um, you know, health access. So that's really okay. the, the Asani sanitary napkin program. That, that's awesome. And I think like, it's, it's amazing that you're able to address all these things. And um, honestly, very inspiring to hear this too. I, one question that I have, like a follow up, especially when you're educating um, young women about periods, have you ever felt like, you know, like discomfort on their end? How have you handled that? Or even at like an educational level, have you ever felt any sort of backlash from like, uh like officials on like teaching this information is it something that's tabooed and you know do you have discomfort around that i don't know if that question makes sense yeah it, okay. it totally makes sense um, and um and the 
unfortunately, the answer to the question is both yes and no. So, um, okay. 10 years ago, for sure, there was friction. Um, we would have to work very, very, very hard with local community schools and things to convince them that this is something that belongs, um, you know, in their in their curriculums and, and then allow us to go into the schools and teach this. Um, and then, yes, there's always going to be a, a couple of naysayers and, and whatnot. But I think one of the things that we have at our advantage um, at the Desai Foundation is the care and time that we spend building relationships with the communities that we serve. Um, you know, we, we don't just kind of march in there guns blazing, being like, you need to know this now. Um, you know, we really make sure that they understand why we're there, who we are, you know, are able to address, you know, any questions that they may have. Um, so that's, so that's how we, we, uh, you know, ease the friction. I think that, that you were referring to. And then in terms of the, the women themselves and the girls themselves or, you know, the bleeders themselves, um, well, there's, there's two different approaches to that when you're delivering information for the first time. One is humor and the other is breaking it down so that they can relate to it in their everyday lives. If you start talking about periods at a level that is like, you know, Bio biological and like just make it about biology and this and that and this is what's happening to your body whatever that yeah. seems further away from a daily like from my, how does this affect me in my daily life right so that's how we do it we we, we break it down and try to focus on, on like here are the different things so we start by saying things like have any of you ever experienced x right and then you can start that conversation with them saying like, well, yeah, actually I have. And, and what's really beautiful about these conversations is watching these women and girls clearly have this conversation with their own friends for the very first time. Yeah. And, you know, uh, how we take that for granted, I think in America, right? My friends and I talk about our viewers constantly. Like I know exactly, I know, what who has what issues you know like and um yeah. and so but but in india it's just so not discussed so right. suddenly i was watching women in this circle help each other right oh i do this i i use it have you tried to have you tried doing a heating pad have you tried it was so lovely to watch them suddenly be able to in this shared experience that they all have um yeah. and so yeah it's a, with a little bit of humor we try to uh, we you know we we also make we also crack some jokes and and make people feel comfortable but then also really connect to them where they're at that that's honestly that's so i i think that's so important that you're considering like the humor aspect oh it's a little lagging let me know in my back okay um that's really good that you consider that. And I know something that um, I, I've kind of realized um, with this page too, is that when you're translating certain words like periods, like I speak Punjabi and I don't, there's no particular word that people actually use. So did you have any trouble like translating any sort of like jargon like that, um, you know, being from here and then going to India? Um, was, was that a little bit of trouble? Or do you think like, there are words that we just don't really use? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I spent a ton of time in India. So I actually do know oh. the jargons. And I know that colloquially, <laughs> you know, oftentimes, uh, women, you know, refer to it as their chums and things like that. So like, I'm very familiar okay. with the language. 
But the good news uh-huh. is, is that I'm not the one going village to village implementing the program. Um, we yeah. are very, very careful to work with local folks. Um, never in a million years would I pretend like I know something that the local community members don't know better than I do. Um, okay. And so we, we work with, with folks to ensure that we are being sensitive to the language changes, um, the community changes. You know, we work across, of course, all castes and religions. And so when we're entering into a, conser- a slightly more conservative area, we're aware of that and we, and we adjust. Um, so, uh, yeah. and, and don't get me wrong, sometimes we stir the pot um, because okay. sometimes it's important to stir the pot. Um, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of that. Um, after we'd been working in a pretty conservative community for quite some time, they knew who we were. Um, you know, we had done some other health programs there. And so it, this wasn't the first program we did with them. And um, when we held our first Asani sanitary napkin program, rather than holding it like inside in like a classroom or in a hall, we actually did it like outside right in the town center. <laughs> Uh, so you know a lot of people were kind of like what on earth is happening here um but then it helps create a conversation you know that we really believe strongly that you can't break a stigma with just one hand like it's like you know how you can't clap with one hand men and non-leaders need to be a part of the conversation too and so sometimes we kind of bring them along with us uh to ensure that you know if finally we are able to break free of the stigma but we haven't educated our our counterparts um to do the same it's not going to work so that's why it's really important to us to to bring both both folks to the table that's awesome i I think it's great that you you do that um let's start the pot and um because i yeah like you said with the discourse thing like i we do i take it for granted that you know i just talk to my friends about periods um, I'll annoy my brother a little bit and just like mention things. And I like, I, it, there is some sort of like hesitation. I know I have, but I'm sure like it, you know, that friction is a lot more increased if, if I was in an environment that had so much friction surrounding periods. So I think it's great that you do that. Um, and so I know there's this campaign that you had and it's called pledge your period. So do you want to talk a little bit about that and what was the impact of it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this campaign was really inspired by a group of girls I met in India. Um, we were hosting a, uh, I think it was the one year anniversary of our Asani Sanitary Napkin program. And so my team on the ground in India said, you know, we want to host like a little celebration to celebrate the one year of our inauguration of this program. I said, sounds like a great idea. And so they put together the program and then I got, I got, you know, like a brief update about what was going to happen and whatever. And so they showed me some of the signage that they had made. And there were these signs that said things like proud to bleed, you know, happy, you know, happy to bleed. And like, you know, um, and I just said, I was like, do you really think the girls are going to hold up these signs? Like even a step beyond what I, like I, you know, would be maybe comfortable with. And, you know, Four days later, I get the pictures from the event and all of these lovely young women and lovely young girls are holding signs that say proud to bleed, you know, happy to have my menstruation, you know, cut the stigma. And I just thought to myself, look at how beautifully these women are declaring 
you know, this thing that just one year ago, they would never, ever say out loud and never let a photograph be taken of themselves proclaiming such a thing. Um, yeah. Right. Because like I called the team, you got their permission, right, to take this picture. And they were like, yes, we did. <laughs> So yeah, I was like, wow. And I was talking to my colleague, Thulacy Sivalingam, and I was like, you know, that's so amazing and impressive. Um, and together we hatched this idea of pleasure period. Um, and we thought, well, if those girls can do it, can't people here in the States take that same leap? Um, and so that's what we do is we ask yeah. Uh, throughout the month of May, our our supporters and our friends to to pledge their period and declare something about their periods, whether it's <clears throat> breaking a stigma, whether it's sharing a story of your first time, the first time you got your period or the first conversation you ever had about periods. And it's always really fun to see um, how people interpret um, the stories. One of my favorites this past year was, um, um, actually, she's a a college, uh, a, fr a friend of mine from college, uh, Shumi Brody, uh, who's kind of big on TikTok these days. And she did um, a really cute skit of what it was like to buy pads at the grocery store in the 1980s when we grew up versus what it is like now. Um, and how, you know, your mom would just kind of like throw it into the, the shopping cart and then like hide it with other cereals and things so that nobody could see it and now it's kind of like oh yeah you're gonna need your tampons for this you're gonna need your pads for this you're gonna need whatever it's just like no one cares um and it was just like such a, she's also hilarious but it was just like this cute uh vignette that she did so people have some fun with it it helps trying to try to, to change the conversation bring you know we try to bring non-bleeders and men into the conversation as well um last year we had a couple of men say like you know i I pledged to break the stigma also, you know, and so it's, it, we had tried to have a little fun with it and raise a little awareness for the cause. That's awesome. That's, and it's so cool to hear about like how things have changed in like, you know, this amount of time and there's still a lot more change that needs to be done. So it's great to hear that the campaigns like this. And I think through these campaigns, through talking more, people are more comfortable with, you know, periods and talking about them and I think it also contributes to the amount of research that gets done surrounding periods too which is a whole other conversation but something I just well actually about. actually the um there's a great article that just came out in the New York Times about that and um basically when oh. you know I'm pro-vaccine I want to be super super clear about that um and I have <laughs> I've had four COVID shots I'm very very pro-vaccine however uh -huh women for the last two years have been say raising their hands and saying like, yo, this changed my cycle. Whoa, my period's a little different now. Yeah. And uh -huh. doctors completely ignored this for t a year and a half. And then right. finally they just study to confirm that we were not crazy, that indeed uh, the COVID vaccine affects your menstrual cycle. And so oh. we, you know, it's that type of stuff that like, it's still people just do not acknowledge women when they are saying anything about their periods. So yeah, um, I was, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, just connecting to what you said in terms of research and funds and, um, you know, just believing women. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I, I mean, obviously, I've heard that for the past two years about cycles being changed, the vaccine. But I didn't, I also remember reading, okay, that's not, it was dispelled. Like, you know, it's not, I didn't know. Wow, I have to, I have to look at the article now. Um, yeah, that's, that's good to hear that now they're actually doing something about that. But um, another question that we had 
uh, for you was with other South Asian countries, um, how do they compare to India with period poverty and reproductive diseases? And have you seen anything like religion play a role in that? Yeah. So I am not going to be so bold as to pretend like I know um, the, the, the health issues and outcomes of countries that I don't work in. Um, mm -hmm. And so yeah. I want to be really, really sensitive and careful about that. However, I can tell you that South Asia in general, um, the, the issues that we're tackling exist in all of these places. Um, and mm -hmm. I think there are two other factors to, to take into account. Um, where there is more financial poverty, there is going to be more period poverty, um, mm -hmm. is any, you know, religious decree um, or overly religious or overly conservative communities, which by the way, exist everywhere in South Asia, um, mm -hmm. you are going to have more barriers for women and girls in general, whether it's about their periods or not. So um, that is kind of just baseline. Um, but, uh, and, and, then, and then the third is actually the geographic things that you have to think about um, in terms of, you know, I, I can, uh, this I know. So Bangladesh, it rains more in Bangladesh than it does in India, right? Like that's like fact. <laughs> so um, the, what happens, so women that use rags um, for their, for their, to, to manage their cycle, oftentimes they dry it outside on like a clothesline. But when there is more humidity, they don't dry properly. And then they are used again and they have, now they're like ripe for infection. So mm -hmm. those types of, of cervical issues are, is slightly higher in a place uh, where there's kind of like involved. So it's a lot of different factors. It's like environmental, religion, geography, um, you know, poverty. So it's, it's all these things mixed yeah. together. But you know, I don't want to, I don't want to um, speak for, for nations that I don't work in. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. I think that addresses the question as well that there so many, because I think there's a lot of diversity with South Asia and we just kind of mm -hmm. couple it as South Asia. So I think, you know, mentioning like how even the climate makes such a huge difference is, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a really important thing to consider um, in terms of, you know, this work. Um, and with what you've seen in the work that you've done, what are some of the most like common menstrual myths that you've um, noticed um, when working with young women and bleeders? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to do a couple serious ones and I'm going to do a couple funny ones just because that's what you have to do in this, okay. in this line of work. Um, so um, <laughs> a couple of the serious one is like, I think the idea that, I mean, this is a one, a, a stigma that I grew up with. So I, I, I am very, very adamant that people know that they can pray and that they are worthy of God's love and they should enter, enter the mosques and enter the temples and enter the whatever. But I want to start with why these stigmas happened in the first place. Because I think understanding the stigmas themselves, like what, how, they, how they've evolved, it's important to know where they started. And yeah. where they started was back in the day where women had to walk three miles or whatever with their clay pot to fill it with water in order for their family to have water to drink that day. Um, right. you know, the women, the women would go together, right? The women of the village would get together and they'd all go and make that journey together. And when, um, someone was on their period, 
it was a, it was supposed to be this like sisterly thing, right? It was like, I got you, like you, you can rest. I got you, give me your, give me your bucket, I'll go, right? And so it was this yeah. idea of like, yes, you rest, I got you. Next couple of days, you got me, right? And mm -hmm. so somehow over time, this became interpreted as, oh, you can't touch the water when you're on your period because you are dirty. Oh, you can't actually oh. enter the home when you're on your period because you're dirty. Oh, you actually can't enter the temple because you're dirty. And this, this is what has, like, it's been just manipulated and manipulated into a complete farce. Um, there is nothing in any religious text <laughs> um, that says that you are unworthy of God's love when you're on your period. The idea yeah. is that it was supposed to be about rest. Yeah. It is not supposed to be about you being dirty, unworthy, or anything. It's about rest. Our bodies need to rest. And so, um, you know, that was where this all started and how it kind of got manipulated in the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. But the stigmas. Oh. So, um, oh. <laughs> you know, not being able... Not being able to pray, not being able to touch books. There's a couple conservative communities. I've um, so imagine if you are not allowed to touch a book for five days a month, how do you keep up in school? Yeah, yeah, you can. Um, yeah. So one that I grew up with here in America is that if you're on your period and you go in the ocean, you will attract sharks. <laughs> Love oh. that one. Um, and then. Um, oh, what's the other one? I don't know. I can't remember rough time by There's so many. Um, uh -huh. But yeah, so so tons of tons of stigmas. But on the other side of things is mm -hmm. that there's also a lot of South Asian cultures that celebrate menstruation and don't have these oh. issues, right? So um, uh -huh. there there is a um, um, a Tamil tradition where oh, yeah. when um, a woman when when she when she gets her period is actually like celebrated and 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 like you know so they they have a lot less in that community issues around not knowing what your period is because in fact yeah. they, they're anticipating it because they want to celebrate it so right. you know it's, it's every community and you're right there is so much diversity in South Asia um, and that and we get to see that as we go from village to village um, uh -huh. and so it's that's yeah. Uh, that that one tradition I actually didn't even know like I'm from really um like a very Asian part of um New Jersey so there's a lot of Indians in my community and um I was invited when I was like 12 or 13 to this like huge like celebration and then I didn't realize it was like my friend's birthday but I didn't realize you know it's not like she's 16 it's not like a sweet 16 so it's really confusing for me and then my mom was like no she probably just got her first period and I was like oh whoa like I didn't realize it was a celebration, and I thought that was so cool. But uh, and it's so cool how those traditions translate here too. Um, and I think we have a comment on in the in the live. Could you have another talk about the daughter-in-law needing to be silent in order to be complete and respectful in the U.S.? Um, yeah, I feel like that's a whole other topic of its own, and maybe we could address that in a future session. Um, but. Uh, another another question that I had for you is uh, we've talked a little a lot actually about the, the Sci Foundation and um, all these programs that you do and all the important work. Do you want to talk about the impact that your work's had uh, with? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so 
I think what I'm the most proud of is, I mean, I can throw all the numbers at you, <clears throat> uh, which is fine. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's the intangible things that I'm the most proud of. Um, mm -hmm. And it's the things that you can't always measure um, with, with just data collection. Um, and so I'll tell you right. a couple of stories about a couple of the women that we've worked with that whose lives have changed. Um, <clears throat> so over the last 25 years, the, the Sci Foundation has impacted almost 5 million lives. Um, we operate in 2000, nearly 2,500 villages um, in eight mm -hmm. states in rural communities. And um, I'll tell you a story and I'm going to, use fake names here. Um, so um, I'll tell you a story about Rupa. Rupa is um, joined our, she came to an awareness session first and uh, didn't know much about her period. And then she, oh, you fell over, sorry. Um, uh, she then uh, started selling. She became uh, one of the women that, that, that goes around and sells the Asani Sanitary Napkin Program. And when I met her, like several months after she joined the program, I luckily had, had, had to be back in that village. So I got to see her twice. And she was like a whole different person. Like her energy was different. Her demeanor was different. Uh, she was walking a little bit more proudly. And so I asked one of my team members, like, what's going on there? <laughs> like, what happened? <laughs> Um, and because of this program, she's, uh, she's more visible in town, like because she's going from door to door, she now has like social ties and relationships to everyone. Oh. In the community. Yeah. And because of that, like her mother-in-law is treating her better, you know, oh. just, just by, mm -hmm. because suddenly now people are saying things like, oh yeah, you know, you're. You're, she's so-and-so, like, you know, you're so-and-so's mother-in-law. And like suddenly just having those cultural, like those, those social connections in a, in a small community, like a village, she feels so much more seen and visible. And then the respect goes all the way around. Um, and so that's just like an example of like, sure, I can tell you about the dollars in her pocket and I can tell you that she's making more money and I can tell you a lot of other things, but sometimes it's these intangible things that, um, for me, uh, really make my heart swell, uh, when I look at the work we're doing. Yeah. That's, that's amazing to hear. And I kind of ties with the live question that we got, but, um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that, that impact must feel so special seeing that it's not even something that you're expecting I think because they're like it's it's something that just naturally happens and you realize how holistic the work is that you're doing it's not just impacting period poverty but empowerment and with empowerment so many other things um so I mean that's that's amazing to hear um and so uh I think Oh, um, one of the, I think one of the last questions that we have for you, and let me just double check, but is what are some of the future plans that you have with the foundation? And I guess another add-on to that question is um, how can uh, people, you know, support the work that you're doing? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, we are just trying to grow 
um, our community and, and, you know, the more funds that we raise, the more communities that we can bring this programming to. So um, what we're going to try to do is expand within the states that we're in right now. So right now we operate in Gujarat, Rajasthan, Maharashtra, Uttar Pradesh, Madhya Pradesh, Orissa, Tamil Nadu, uh, and Karnataka. Um, and we're on the Bihar border, but I, I, I hesitate to say that we're in Bihar. Um, and mm -hmm. then we will be expanding to one more state next year, but then we're going to hopefully stay steady <laughs> uh, for a little while. And, and then, uh, so yeah, we, you know, we're really interested to, to bring our programming within these states to more folks um, and, um, and really try to hope that we make a bigger impact and, and also try to make sure that we're, we're really connecting to the community at large, not just speaking, um, you know, to the, to the, to the to the to the bleeders that need this product right like we want to make sure that everyone is involved in the community and um and and ho holding holding on and taking care of their young bleeders that's awesome uh thank you so much mega for being on our live and sharing all of this work that you've been doing with the this Sci foundation um, I, I honestly, I feel so inspired just after this conversation and also earlier when I was looking at your site. Um, it, it's, it's just amazing that you're able to actually go. We talk so much about these things, but you're actually going in and doing a lot of that necessary work to oh, actually, you. you know, make that change. So, yeah, thank you so much um, for being on our live. And it was really nice meeting you. No, thank you for having me. And I love what you're building with Brown Women Health. I think that um, there are so many specific issues in our community that go unaddressed. And, um, you know, I am continuously shocked by how many of my South Asian friends struggle with the same health issues that we are not talking about, especially things like fibroids and endometriosis and, you know, all these different things that I'm, I'm like, whoa, that's a really large percentage of my friends that are struggling with the same things. And so, yeah. um, you know, and heart disease and so many things that the South Asian community has consistently struggled with. Um, and what I like so much about your description, if I can say that you are right, there are so many South Asian medical professionals in America, and yet um, our our voices and our stories are not always heard and believed. So thank you for bringing a voice to them as well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. I I really feel so strongly about these things, and I'm glad that you know we're able to create that platform. So thank you. Awesome. Uh, well, I hope you have a great rest of the day. Um, yeah. All right. Thanks, Bye. guys.